Well, it's always a treat to be able to uh, embarrass some people. <laughs> Brian and Heather, Chaplin, first time guest as a married couple. Let's give them a hand. We don't embarrass any other kind of first-time guests. Don't worry. You're, you're, you're not going to be named next, okay? But just for our newlyweds, we enjoy having you back in service. Glad to have you here. Welcome back. Uh, my name is Joshua. I'm the pastors here. We're in John 11, and uh, we're looking at verses uh, 1 through 16 there that Aaron read for us. We'll work our way through the text, and um, thank you for your patience in that. One other announcement before we get started. A couple weeks, we have Youth Sunday uh, coming up in which two young men will be sharing God's Word. The youth will do the entire service, one of my favorite Sundays of the year. And so you don't want to miss that coming up, and uh, pray for the youth as they lead that. They're doing so well. Um, but yes, looking forward to that in the near future. So good things to come. Well, as we uh, prepare to look at John 11, uh, you probably have noticed the lawn decorations in New Hampshire have changed a little bit, right? Have you noticed that there's more lawn decorations about Halloween than there is about Christmas? It just seems to be that the number of things that we can inflate that look like death uh, just seem to multiply. And, uh, and so our culture is maybe obsessed with death. Uh, maybe our culture might even celebrate the morbid side of death. And so if you were to drive down this road, uh, Hellbound Alley, I mean um, Village Road, and uh, you, you make it <laughs> down to South Village, uh, you would see that there could really be a new evangelistic campaign that we could maybe run here. I actually thought about doing this in the Loudon Ledger, but I was kind of encouraged, yeah, don't, don't do that. But here is what my evangelistic campaign would say to Loudon. You're obsessed with death. Okay, great. Come to church. We don't just talk about it once a year. We talk about it every week. <laughs> what do you think? I mean, has that marketing poll, you know? I don't know. I have to say this. Christians are unique, aren't we? Okay, I mean, we are always talking and thinking and asking you to consider death. I remember one time uh, when I was down in Northern Virginia, my parents and I, we did not go to the same church, but I invited my dad to come to our church for Father's Day. And here was my premise, come to my church for Father's Day, uh, we're Baptists, we get done at 12 o'clock on the dot, the pastor doesn't go longer, it ends exactly, we'll beat the Methodists to lunch by 30 minutes, it's Father's Day, we'll get you there sooner than everybody else. And so my dad and mom come to church with me. And they're sitting there, and my dad, I think, was expecting a Father's Day message. It, and a little bit of inspiration about maybe just what a good daddy was, and to keep going, it's worth it, look at the sons you have, you know, etc. And it was a message about death. And we go out to lunch, and we have the pastor for roast. Uh, I, you know, it's a staple diet on Sundays, and, uh, and you, most homes serve it up, <laughs> okay? And, uh, and so as we were roasting the pastor, he was like, I just can't believe it that here I come to church on a Sunday, and all he does for 30 minutes is talk about death on Father's Day, no less. Well, if you're our guest, I want to shape your expectations quickly here. You know, coming to FCBC will not always wind you up and spin you out, okay? Uh, church will not always make you leave feeling good. You won't always leave with some kind of inner joy and love, just go out there and rah, rah, yeah, that's, I'm so proud of it, run the banner up the flagpole and charge hell with a water pistol. That's just not always how it's going to be. 
Often coming to church will make you reflect upon things that you would spend very little time of your own reflecting on or even considering. This week, the Bible, going through the Bible, just working chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we are forced to stop and contemplate something significant and ultimate and consequential for all of us. Death. What do you make of death? What does death have to do with Jesus? How does Jesus change your understanding of death? In John chapter 11, followers, men and women of Jesus, are dealing with death. And then as they suffer it, we understand more of what they believe about Jesus. We see what they believe, and then it also reveals to us more of who Jesus actually is. So faith, family, the purpose of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, which we're going to get to next week, but the purpose of this miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead is for us to see who Jesus is so that we would be able to trust him more, even in the face of death. This miracle fits in with John's overall purpose of his book. These things were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in him you have life. And so John puts this story here for you to learn something about who Jesus is so that you can have faith in him and ultimately have eternal life. So you could trust him. But it's really hard to trust God when in his love he does not give you what you expect. Let me say that again. It is really difficult to trust God when in His love, He gives you what you don't expect. So we need to learn that Jesus loves us and that Jesus knows what He's doing. So we need to learn this morning that Jesus loves us and that He knows what He's doing. And I want to ask you right up front, what difference would it make in your life if you were absolutely convinced of those two things, that Jesus loves you and that He knows what He's doing? What difference would it make in your life? When I say, what difference would it make in your life, I mean this. What if you were so gripped, so sure of those two truths that it changed everything about you? That you were so gripped and so sure that God loves you and that he knows exactly what he's doing. These two things ought to change everything in your life. Even when you face death. So point number one, Jesus loves you. Point number two, he knows what he's doing. Not a very complicated sermon, but it's all for this point. You need to know that Jesus loves you and he knows what he's doing because love does not often give us what we would expect. Love does not often give us what we expect. First, Jesus loves you. In chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, we're introduced to a very special family. We have three siblings here. We have Mary, Martha, and their brother Lazarus, who is ill. We know Jesus knew this family intimately. Look at verse 2. Mary is the one who anointed the feet of her Lord with ointment, and she used her hair to wipe his feet. We know that Jesus loved this family dearly, because when they send for help, because their brother Lazarus is ill, they send for help to Jesus. And this is all that they say. Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is ill. There's no mention of Lazarus' name. They don't need to. He would know them. 
he would know exactly who it is that they're referring to. Jesus loves this family dearly. Skip down to verse 5. Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. They have a special relationship with them. We know they feel the security of that love because they are willing to ask him, Lord, would you come quickly because my brother is sick. He's sick to the point of death. I mean, how many people back then would have that kind of direct access to Jesus? Today, if you're a child of God, I want to encourage you. You have that direct access to Jesus. Nothing can separate you from his love. You have direct access to him. You can be that child who runs to him at 1 a.m., at 2 a.m., and to ask for something as simple as a glass of water, and he is not bothered because he is your heavenly father who delights in his children having faith to ask him for things. So faith family, everything this passage says about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus is true for you today. Jesus loves you even when his love doesn't give you what you expect. Brings us to our second point. Jesus knows what he's doing. We need to be completely assured because Jesus does something very surprising. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, if you're new to using a Bible, those small numbers are the verses. Verse 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days longer in the place where he was. You know, sometimes it's the littlest words that make the biggest difference. There's a word here in verse 6 that is only two letters. It is the word so. The Greek word for so is un, and it means so. <laughs> Went to seminary for that. Or therefore, okay. I mean, <laughs> those are the two options. It's, it's a big word. But why is that important? Because it connects verse 6 to verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, or so, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. You know, you would expect that because he loved them, that when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he would bolt out of what he was doing and get there as soon as he could. Because he loved them. Because he loved them, you would expect for him to drop everything and to make it a priority and to get there in haste. Because he loved them, he wouldn't even have to leave. You just speak a word and Lazarus would be healed from a distance, right? But that's not what the text says. The sequence is this. He loved them, therefore he waited. Faith family, Jesus demonstrates his love by delaying. It's because of his love for them that he is staying away. He's going to love not just them, but all of us by showing more of who he is if he waits. And to do that, to do that, he will let his beloved friends go through supreme suffering and death. Do you get that? 
to love them and to love us and to reveal more of who he is, he will let his friend go through death and the sisters to deal with their brother's death. Love doesn't always give us what we expect. I mean, the whole story is built on this premise that Jesus does love this family and that he could do something about it. I mean, if he couldn't do something about it, why even ask him to come? I mean, so it's built on, we know you love us, we know you can do something, so now the question is, why delay? They knew Jesus could heal. Take a sneak peek at next week's verses. Go ahead, verse 21, run your eye down to verse 21. They all know that Jesus could heal. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What does it imply? You could have done something about this. Skip down to verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 37. But some of them could not, uh, some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? The answer is, yes, of course. So if he really did love this family, and they really were his friends, and he could heal him and do something about it, why did he wait? Haven't we all been tempted to ask that of God? God really loves me, and he can do anything he wants, then why did he let this happen to me? Here is where our fallen condition kicks in. Fallen condition would just be our sinful natures that we have. Here it is. We naturally distort what is love. We tend to operate with this understanding about love. We think that love is maximizing my immediate happiness. That's how we think of love. Love is just maximizing my immediate happiness. Think about children. I mean, (laughs) this is just an easy one. When a child says to a parent, you don't love me, what they mean is, you are not giving me what I want in this moment. Jesus operates on a completely different plane. Why didn't he go straight up to Lazarus and heal him? Why the delay? Look at verses 4, and then we'll look at verses 14 and 15. He gives us the purpose in verse 4 of why he didn't immediately go and heal him. John 11, verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He's going to get glory through whatever he's going to do. Then skip down to verses 14 and 15. Kind of bookend our section. Let's know what the purpose of this passage is all about. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. 15, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. So that you may what? Believe. But let us go to him. Is this the Jesus you know? The Jesus who loves them better by not maximizing their immediate happiness, but their eternal happiness by revealing more of who He is. In fact, He doesn't just love them by waiting. He loves all of us by waiting. 
for what Jesus is about to do is going to be a crucial part of us understanding who he really is. It will allow him, right, a key to explain for who he is and why he came. So he waits. He waits until Lazarus is dead, buried, four days dead, dead, dead. All so that we can learn that Jesus has the absolute power over death. Faith family, even your sufferings, even your sufferings serve the good purposes of God. Love does not always give us what we expect, but God knows what he is doing. God's timing is never wrong. Is it? You know, just that question makes you probably think of examples of frustration, pain, tragedy. If you feel that God's kindness is absent in your life, you are not as alone as you think you are. The tears that you have that are visible to you now, if we all had tears that had ink in them, like tattoo ink, and it was indelibly stained on our faces, we would all walk around tatted up. Let me give you a little bit of advice from God's Word if you think that God's timing is off. Don't make up an immediate interpretation of why you think that is. God's purposes are deeper than any of us might understand immediately. So just reverently acknowledge that it's hard. And remember what you know of His character. Reverently acknowledge that it's hard. And remember what you know of His character. Because what you do know about God, what you've seen Him do, and then you can pray. Pray that God will give you the faith to trust Him through this trial that you'd have the courage to keep your faith through the suffering so that you too can give glory to God. I'm really encouraged by Martha here. Like the, her sister and the disciples, she doesn't really understand yet who she's dealing with, but she is not dissuaded from her faith. Despite sorrow in Lazarus' death, despite seemingly disappointment that Jesus didn't do anything, She's not dissuaded from the faith that she does have. Look at verses 21 through 27. I know there weren't supposed to be in the sermon, but just go ahead and look forward. 21 through 27. Let's read this. I'll read along. You follow with your eyes. Verses 21 through 27 and see how she has a stick-to-itiveness to her faith. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Aren't you glad this is Martha? She gets a bad rap. Mary always chooses the better things. Martha's smiling here. Finally, we get a good Martha sermon here. 
We love you, Martha, and any other Martha that's here. But Mar Mary's always the one that chooses the good portion, that does the Bible study, and Martha's too busy working and missing out. Not here. Martha has some faith. She has some grit. She's orthodox in her Jewish faith. We see that she has two I know statements. Verse 22, right? She says, but even now I know that whatever you ask, God will give to you. Verse 24, she says, I know he will rise again the resurrection on the last day. She clearly believed two things. She believed there was a God and that he could do something about it if he wanted to. You ask now, he'll give it to you. Secondly, she believed, even in the face of dealing with death, that God will resurrect him on the last day. Now you ask, how could anyone at that time believe that? Martha is really an Old Testament saint. Christ isn't resurrected yet. Which means the resurrection of saints... Uh, 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 sorry, that would probably mis mislead you. The resurrection of God's children not any kind of special class of people, any believer in the Old Testament, they believe that there was a resurrection. Read Daniel 12 later this afternoon, and you will see in the Old Testament, people believed in the resurrection of the body, literally then. Okay, sorry for the misspoken word. So she believes that God could do something now, and she was quite certain that God would do something later. So if you want to ask now, it'll happen, but if you don't do anything, I know it's going to all be solved out in the end. But she doesn't quite get it all yet, and that's for next week. She doesn't quite understand who she's dealing with. But death does not dissuade her from her faith. She confesses, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So let me ask you, are you easily dissuaded from your faith? Are you easily dissuaded from your faith? You know, life isn't working out the way many of us would like it to. There may be real sorrow, real tragedy. Your future might look doomed. I think many people feel that if God were real, he would not let this or that happen to me. It's understandable. But I just want to lovingly point you to how different Martha is than that here. Okay? She might not know who Jesus completely is yet. She might not know who she's dealing with. But she does know. And what she knows, she knows truly. And she is not giving up on it even in the face of her brother's death. I know this. I know this. So I wonder about you. Can you live with that kind of faith? Can you accept that you don't have to know everything to know something? That's what sets Martha apart. She doesn't know the whole big picture, but what she does know keeps her grounded in her faith. Do you have to know everything? Every reason behind every decision that went wrong in your life? Or can you be like Martha? doesn't know everything, but she does know some things, and she knows them truly. She knows for a fact that God loves her, that God knows what he's doing. Can you live with a faith like Martha has? Before you say, Josh, I could never do that. I understand that there's a gap between what I see in you and what you see about yourself, isn't there? 
what you think about you is probably always worse than what other people think about you. And they probably think something better about you than what you really are. Somewhere in the middle, what you think about you, what others see in you. But I just want to encourage you, faith family, right? I, I wish everybody could be a pastor sometimes because what I get to see, I, I guess, is more in degree. But you should see some as good church members, okay? As good church members, I want to encourage you to look around and realize how much you have strengthened my faith. I remember going through right tragic accidents. Joni Terry, Kara Kilman, and how people stuck with it through them strengthened me. I've gone through sickness, sickness I haven't had yet but through many of you and how you've clung to Christ and cherished Christ, proclaimed Christ through your suffering, strengthen me. Others of you have difficult work relationships. Some of you have difficult marriages. You've stuck through it. You've persevered. You've trusted Christ. You've clung to him in hard times. I look at you every week. It strengthens me to see you persevering, coming. It looks like you, you think, oh, I'm bumbling, I'm barely keeping it together. I know, but you show up. You renew your faith. You confess your faith. You sing songs to one another. And you help me trust God personally through my hard times. I wish all of you had more of a front row seat. But what I have in greater degree, you should still have as a good church member. What is church membership all about? It is an assurance collective. You want to have assurance that you're going to make it to the end? You have other people in your life as you commit to a local body that are with you, that are helping you say, hey, keep the faith, keep persevering. I know you fell down seven times, but get back up again. Come on. That's what church membership is about. That's what breaks our heart when people remove membership and don't go to another church. Because we're saying, why would you not want to take advantage of this assurance collective? It's going to help you cross the finish line. Well, what do you need to know to trust Jesus and to follow him? What you need to know is what Jesus says about himself. Go back to verse 9 and 10. This is what Jesus says about himself. As you are confused in what he's doing, and the disciples are wondering why he's going back to Judea. Does he want to have a death sentence? Jesus answered them, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Disciples are scared because they forget who they are dealing with. And what Jesus' point is in this whole metaphor of light and darkness, I know it's a little complicated, but it's pretty simple. What he's saying is God's timing is perfect. It is still light out. Jesus knows what he is doing, and he waited. And his timing is perfect because he still had work to do, which was the raising of Lazarus. So it's going to be okay that we're going to go there because I still have work to do. It's still light out. Just follow me. And if you walk in the light as I am the light, you will be safe. Even if it means your death, you will be safe because I'm leading you there and I go before you. That's what he's saying. So we can trust 
that God's timing is perfect for us and that God loves us. And I can say that not because I know every single trial that you're going through, but I can say that because I know how God has revealed himself in his word. God is love. His timing is perfect. God is trustworthy. And if you are his child, you will one day bear witness to that, even when he calls you to follow him through a trial, even the trial of death. Can you live knowing this is so true that God loves you and he knows what he's doing that it changes everything about you? Let's have a moment of silence before we sing our closing hymn.